Thank you very much, Brooks. This has been a great conference. I, I've really enjoyed everything so far. Um, it's my honor today to present John Purse. He's Senior Vice President at EMC. He's responsible for private cloud infrastructure services uh, for EMC Corporation. Uh, SMMA has enjoyed a long relationship, 15 years with EMC. We've been a design partner of theirs. We've done projects all over the U.S. Uh, most recently and most relevant to this audience here in North Carolina is their first U.S.-based center of excellence, which is their cloud data center in Durham. Um, we're very proud to be part of that project. Let me tell you a little, bit, a little bit about our firm. As you can tell, I'm not from around here. Uh, SMMA is an integrated design firm. Uh, we do a full range of, of design services, architecture, engineering, interior design, and planning. Um, we do it in an integrated fashion. Our headquarters is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We've been in business for about 60 years. And we have uh, an office in Providence, Rhode Island, and we've just newly opened an office in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Dana Watts is our managing partner for that office. Uh, we're very proud to be part of the North Carolina community. Uh, it's, uh, it's a great spot for us because we are, technology is a cornerstone of our practice. Uh, and with that, we're very proud to be part of Inceda. Uh, it's, uh, we believe that this partnership with Inceda for us and its mission and its opportunity to have thought leadership shared with uh, the likes of all of you folks in this room is a fantastic um, way for us to be in part of this market. Um, so without further ado, I, I do want to uh, say on behalf of uh, our support for NCEDA, on behalf of this leadership conference and um, its message, uh, how technology drives sales and integrates leadership teams, uh, and our long partnership with EMC, I want to introduce uh, Mr. John Purse, and hopefully we'll enjoy this, his speech. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, and thank you very much for the 15-year partnership with, with EMC. Uh, for anyone who is interested in coming and seeing the quality of the work that SMA does, uh, our cloud data center in Durham is, uh, is open, and we're regularly bringing customers and prospects and interested uh, organizations through to show them a world-class uh, cloud computing facility. I'm going to stand down here so that I don't fall off the stage unintentionally or trip over the chairs. Um, the topic of my speech today uh, is how technology enhances the effectiveness of the C-suite. And in talking over uh, the content with Brooks and with Mark, you know, I was thinking, geez, the, the single most impactful thing we've done at EMC is we gave all our executives iPads. And that made them real productive and effective and very happy. But there's no way I can spend an hour talking about giving them iPads. So instead, we're going to talk about something that's quite, quite a bit more meeting. And that is really how big data and the opportunities of predictive business analytics uh, are changing our world in technology and what the promise is in the future, uh, which I think is you know, gets to the heart of the effectiveness and, and productivity of an executive team. We're talking about visibility. We're talking about insight. Uh, we're talking about transparency. We're talking about top line and bottom line. So what I'll do is um, go through a little introduction, uh, and then we'll talk about uh, Catalyst for Change, which is 
the tame way of saying, you know, big, hairy problems. And these are the things that those of us in the technology world face every day that are causing us to realize we've got to do things fundamentally differently. Because if we keep doing things the same way, uh, I think when we talk about these catalysts for change, you'll realize that uh, it'll become uh, absolutely impossible to succeed if we just keep doing things the same way. We'll segue into what the big opportunity is with big data, what big data is. We will talk about a journey that typical companies who have excelled in this new world of predictive analytics and big data, uh, what that journey consists of typically. Uh, I'll talk about our own experiences within EMC IT, and then we'll wrap up with some, some final thoughts. Our mission uh, as a company, EMC's company, is to lead our customers on a journey to hybrid cloud computing. Hybrid clouds are a combination of public cloud resources and private cloud resources. Uh, the hybrid cloud intimates that most organizations in the world will have things they're buying externally, things they're doing internally, and the seamless integration of those is the hybrid cloud. This Mission is resonating very well with our customers, and that's evidenced by our performance as a company, a $20 billion company as of the end of 2011, number 139 on the Fortune 500 rank, and we're proud to be number 12 on the Barron's 500 rank, which is a performance-based measure. So the mission is resonating well. Um, we are growing rapidly, um, but faced with the exact same problems that every other company is faced with. As Bob mentioned last night, we're very proud to, be, to have long and deep roots in the state of North Carolina, 1,100 employees across several sites, uh, sales and service in Charlotte, Greensboro, and Raleigh, uh, our new cloud data center and R&D facility, Center of Excellence in Durham, uh, manufacturing in Apex, and R&D in RTP. So let's turn to the, uh, the big problems that the world of IT and technology are faced with today. There are four major challenges that uh, keep those of us who are in the field of IT awake more nights than we prefer to be. The first is the budget dilemma, and we'll talk more about each of these uh, in, in subsequent slides. Um, budgets are a problem everywhere. They're especially a problem in the world of IT. Compounding the budget problem is the deluge of information. And I'm going to show you some statistics from an IDC study on the digital universe that uh, are sobering. But the, the fact of the matter is we are continuously deluged with volumes of information that uh, exceed our capability of ingesting them. Compounding that is the fact that our ability to protect ourselves from a cybersecurity standpoint are more and more challenging. Threats are getting much more sophisticated. The cost and the complexity of protection via the old security mechanisms is getting much more difficult. And then last but certainly not least is the fact that the IT organizations, typical IT organizations, are so caught up in those first three dilemma that they effectively create bottlenecks for the business and create the need for a bypass valve. And so increasingly, we see 
lines of business bypassing IT organizations to get done what they need to get done to generate revenue to serve customers. Uh, and that creates another set of problems as well as exacerbating certainly the cybersecurity challenge we have there. The heart of the budget dilemma is this fact that in most IT organizations, 20 to 30% of the budget is spent doing new and innovative things for the business, and 70 to 80% is spent keeping the lights on. In most organizations, IT budgets are big, and if 70 to 80% of that big budget is viewed as you're just keeping the lights on, the CFO is going to say, I'm going to treat you like a cost center. And when you get treated like a cost center, your budget gets driven down or capped, and the discussions are all around what can you save me as opposed to what can you do for me from a value perspective. If only 20 to 30% of your budget is spent on delivering new capabilities to the business, it's hard to be treated as an investment center. It's hard to be seen as a strategic partner. And when your budget is under such pressure, you have to make tough choices about what you don't do. And as an IT executive, if you're in the position where you have to allocate money between keeping the lights on and doing something new, and you know that if you can't keep the lights on, it doesn't matter what else because you won't have a job, you put money back into that first bucket. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that the more pressure you're under, the more you're treated as a cost center, the more you end up spending as a proportion of your budget in keeping the lights on. So it's this vicious circle that has to be broken. Ideally, it would be the other way around. We'd love to spend 70% of our budget to deliver new capabilities to the business. If we did, the conversations that we would be having, that the CIO and the CFO would be having and the CEO would be having would be quite different. This is the uh, IDC Digital Universe survey from 2011. And uh, I can't tell you exactly how IDC came up with these estimates, but uh, they seem to be very credible, and no one can prove them wrong. So the, um, the IDC study said that in the year of 2000, the world generated approximately two exabytes of information in that year. Today, we generate that much in one day. So about a decade later, what we used to generate in a year, we now generate in a day. So 365x. In 2010, the digital universe was 1.2 zettabytes. And for people that want to know what a zettabyte is, a zettabyte is a trillion billion bytes. 1.2 last uh, two years ago. Uh, by the end of the decade, we'll be at 35 zettabytes. The interesting thing about that data growth is that that data growth is mostly in unstructured data. In the world of data, there's structured and unstructured. Structured data is the data that you typically find in a relational database. That's the data that almost all of our decision support systems are, have been architected and designed to be able to exploit. Most of the growth and a and a, and a vast majority of the population of the digital world is now in the unstructured 
data field. Unstructured data are files, they're, um, they're blobs, they're presentations, they're web content, they're everything that doesn't fit into a structured relational database. This same phenomenon that is true in the broader digital world is also true within our enterprises. Most companies have a, an unstructured data pool that's five to seven times bigger than their structured data, and it's growing three times faster. And again, if you think about what we have optimized all of our decision support systems for in the past, because of the limits of technology, it's been on the left-hand side, structured data. That's what we write our reports against. That's what our business intelligence systems go after, and that's what we're able to turn into information. The unstructured data is there. It's growing faster. It's much bigger, and you could argue that we're capturing very little value from it with the approaches that we are using today or have used in the past. When you look at what's driving all of this unstructured data, it's things like this. Obviously, intelligent endpoints like mobile sensors, social media. 250 million pictures get posted to Facebook every day. Astounding. It's also intelligent endpoints that uh, didn't used to be intelligent. Look at an oil rig, for example. There was a point in time where oil rigs generated you know, zero transactions uh, in a digital format. Today, a typical oil rig generates 25,000 data points per second. And all of that data is useful and meaningful and being harvested by oil and gas companies. The cost of gene sequencing has fallen from $100 million in 2001, 10 years later, down to $10,000. From $100 million to $10,000 to sequence a gene. Absolutely phenomenal technology-enabled improvement. And if the costs allow you to do that, you're going to do it, and you're going to generate incredible volumes of data that need to be turned into useful business information. There's no sign that any of these trends are going to stop. In fact, they're probably going to accelerate. And so, you know, that begs the question, how do we as business executives, business leaders, technology leaders, how do we capitalize on on this trend? In the world of security, uh, the threat landscape is changing very dramatically at the same time. A study by Panda Labs concluded that in 2010, 88% of the Fortune 500 had been breached. We are one of the 88%. It happened to us. A recent Verizon data breach investigation report stated that 91% of all compromises result in data loss within days. And even more sobering, they concluded that 79% of those breaches took the company weeks to catch or to even identify. So what that says is the damage was already done. The breach happened, the data was exfiltrated, the company found out about it weeks down the line. 
So sobering statistics that, again, reinforce that we need to change our approaches in order to be successful in the future. Because the world of cybersecurity now, or the, the bad guys, are no longer pranksters. They're no longer college kids, you know, on summer break. These are nation states. These, is, these are organized crime, uh, very sophisticated entities that will stop at nothing and that have large, very well-established organizations that are established for the sole purpose of stealing information. And so as an IT professional, this is one of, certainly one of the things that we need to have a solution for as we go forward. The, um, the next challenge is around our people. So the same study that concluded 35 zettabytes in a decade also concluded that the size of the IT workforce will grow by about 50% over that time frame. So obviously the expectation is that we're going to do a lot more with only a little bit more. And that has been typically what the world of IT has been about, doing more with less, doing a lot more with a little more. It looks to be that that's going to happen in the future. But as I mentioned before, there are some fundamental changes happening within the world of, of IT from an organizational perspective and from a dynamics perspective within the company. And that is, as technology has become more and more critical to the lines of business and the leaders of the lines of business, IT has not evolved itself. IT functions have not evolved themselves to keep up with the pace of those needs. And it's created situations where lines of business heads have felt compelled to bypass IT to get done what they need to get done. And this was highlighted in a recent uh, Gartner study from January of this year where uh, they chose to look at the marketing function. And they hypothesized that, hey, maybe the CMO is the next CIO because most marketing budgets today are bigger than IT budgets. They didn't used to be. They're growing faster than IT budgets. And by 2017, the CMO is going to spend more on technology than the CIO. And that spend is not going to be in partnership with the CIO. That spend is going to be going around the CIO. So that's really sobering. As an IT professional, that's really sobering. And we see that at EMC. We see this phenomenon at EMC. If IT cannot be agile enough to support the needs of the business, we become an impediment to the business. And IT is not on the face of the earth for IT's sake. We are on the face of the earth to enable the business. So there's a fundamental transformation that's required within the IT function itself to reinvent itself in a, in a fashion that makes it able to enable. CIO Magazine, uh, from a survey of CIOs in December of last year, uh, concluded that only about 50%, 52% of CIOs say that they're treated as a partner.
And so obviously another reinforcement of that. And when we look at why that might be the case, it becomes pretty clear that the IT business model is completely at odds with a service provider. And uh, I'm from the state of Rhode Island. I live in Rhode Island. And uh, I feel I can probably um, uh, poke fun at uh, one of my home state's institutions here in this audience without any real fear of offending anybody. So I'll just do that. Um, I use this analogy with my own team. I say, we are too much like the Rhode Island Department of Motor Vehicles. The Rhode Island Department of Motor Vehicles, if you, if you need to get your license renewed or you need to get a license plate, you've got to go line up at 3 o'clock in the morning. The doors open at 9, but if you're not there at 3 o'clock in the morning, you will not make it through the line to actually get your transaction done before they close at 3.30 in the afternoon. The reason it's that way is not because the people in the Department of Motor Vehicles don't want to do a good job. The reason it's that way is because there's an arbitrary amount of money that the state funds the Department of Motor Vehicles with at the beginning of the year, and that's all they have. And it's completely disconnected with the demand for the services, and the taxpayers keep voting down tax increases, and the taxpayers keep on deciding that um, no uh, other redistribution of the... Um, Revenues are, you know, are warranted, and so they do the best with what they have. The traditional model of IT is too much like that. IT gets funded at the beginning of the year with a budget, and then it becomes our job to protect it. And we protect it by instituting these convoluted governance processes that are just really designed to drive the demand down and to, uh, and to uh, ration the supply that we have. And there's no service provider on the face of this earth that would have a business model that does that. Right? So we're, by having this business model within a corporate IT organization, we're pretty much consigning ourselves to be worked around. And the more we're worked around, the more those first three challenges that we talked about, cybersecurity, the deluge of information, and how we actually... Uh, capitalize on that from an enterprise perspective, and then the whole budget thing, all of those become much, much bigger issues. So now that I've effectively discouraged any of you who might be considering moving into the field of IT from doing so, uh, I will tell you why, if you're not in IT, you might want to consider moving into IT, because with every challenge, there's an opportunity. Those first four challenges present huge opportunities for us, and, and there are solutions. This is not a zero-sum game here. But beyond that, there are additional opportunities that those challenges bring us, and, and certainly one of them is how we capitalize on that onslaught of data that is coming at us in the digital universe. So let's talk about the opportunity. Uh, for anyone who hasn't read the book, um, Thornton May, who is a futurist, has written a book called The New No. It's been out for a couple of years now. The premise of that book is how predictive analytics are changing the world. In the book, there is a nice quote from Paul Odellini, who is the CEO of Intel. And that quote was that Paul was asked, what is going to be obsolete next? And he said, ignorance. 
And that gets to the premise that the nature of how we are consuming information and how we are turning information into knowledge and wisdom is fundamentally changing. I see it in my own personal life. I've got teenage kids. I used to be able to come home at the end of the day and tell them something they didn't know. I can't do it anymore. And it's not because they think they know everything. It's because they know everything. They, they're getting the same streams that I'm getting. They're subscribed to more sites that I'm subscribed to. They probably have more time in their day to consume the information than I do. But I'm just amazed by how much knowledge and awareness they have at the age that they're, they're at. I try to remember back to what I was thinking about when I was their age, and it was none of that stuff. But the essence is here that in this world of massive amounts of data coming at us as consumers and as businesses, the future is about us knowing, about us turning that data into information that we can leverage for business benefit. It is the case that we are finally entering the information age where creating value from the information that we have is really the new economy. The concept of monetizing information, and I'm not talking about just selling customer lists and things like that. Much more sophisticated concepts are creating value in information. So companies who have products and services and they sell those products and services, and that's basically their, been their business plan, are now realizing that they have data, and, the, and they have information. And that information, in some cases, becomes more important to them than the products and services. We're talking, in most enterprises, having massive numbers of massive files. The IDC study estimates 500 quadrillion files in the digital universe and within EMC's customers, we're seeing many of our customers with file sizes that are in the terabyte-plus range for a single file. And nothing that we have ever done in the past from a technology perspective, whether it's storing it, whether it's um, analyzing it, whether it's reporting on it, None of that has ever been designed for these types of workloads. IDC, uh, just in June of this year, so this is hot off the press, has defined uh, big data technologies, which they describe as a new generation of technologies and architectures that are designed to economically extract value from very large volumes of a wide variety of data, enabling high-velocity capture, discovery, and or analysis. It's a broad buzz term, much like cloud, but it has a very specific intimation, and that is that these architectures, these technologies have been designed for what the future brings us in terms of the workload. Structured and unstructured files, petabyte scale volumes, streaming 
velocity as opposed to batch and very high value um, asset information. The IDC study found that the leaders of their market segments are doing things fundamentally differently in this world of data analysis. Market leaders statistically are using new types of data much more prevalently than their competitors, and they are using new types of analysis on, that new types of, on, on those new types of data. The market laggers are, laggards are using the same analysis on the same data types. So whether the leaders are doing this because they can afford to do it or whether the leaders are doing this because it brings them competitive advantage is not something that IDC was able to draw judgment from. But I think it's always prudent that we look at the market leaders and assume that they're doing some things right. And if they're doing this then and the laggards aren't, uh, could that be a, an indication that the gap will, will widen? There are entire companies that have built their business on the world of big data and being able to do new things with new types of data. One of those is a company called CoreLogic. Anybody heard of CoreLogic? Uh, CoreLogic didn't exist a few years ago. It was spun off from First American Corporation, which is a title insurance company, as old world a company as you can imagine, underwriting more uh, title insurance for real estate. They realized that by harnessing various pools of proprietary, public, and third-party information and bringing it together and being able to uh, effectively triangulate and draw relationships from it, they would be able to deliver information that would enable much better risk-based decision-making on the part of lenders and on the part of insurance uh, companies and, and others in that field. This was spun off a few years ago. It is now worth more than First American, the company that spun it off. Entirely a big data business. There are others, I'm sure, that would fall into that same category it's still pretty early days in this world of, of big data, but again, companies can see the promise, and those that are first to capitalize on it seem to be uh, establishing themselves as, um, as uh, new market leaders. Now, it is, you know, it would be very convenient if I said that there's a product that you can go buy to enable this or there's a recipe that you can follow to be able to gain all these insights that allow you to become more wildly profitable than you already are. Um, as we know in the world of IT, there's no magic for anything, um, and that everything is a journey. Everything that we do in the world of IT involves a maturation process. It involves a multi-step uh, journey that involves both technology as well as people and process to ultimately uh, deliver business benefit. And the same is true in this, in this world of big data. As I talk to peers of mine in, in other companies, uh, we seem to see that there are four primary categories of 
efforts that are required in order to really effectively leverage this opportunity in front of us. The first is infrastructure. If you do not have an infrastructure that's capable of ingesting and processing and analyzing those vast volumes of data, then it doesn't really matter what else you do. You're not going to be able to do anything more than you have been in the past. So that's certainly table stakes. It is a significantly different infrastructure. This is not just buying more servers. Big data technologies are optimized for this world. Much more uh, processing horsepower, much greater network bandwidth, much faster and uh, storage and I.O., less latency, allows um, you know, those kind of capabilities to be delivered. On top of the infrastructure, uh, there's an analytics engine that's required. And the analytics engine has to be able to deal with both structured and unstructured. Now, structured these days is, is somewhat of a no-brainer. Unstructured is not, is not a no-brainer. Unstructured is still very challenging. And your analytics platform has to be able to do both and to be able to bring them together. For an analytics platform to work, there has to be a strong data governance backbone, which is another big challenge that, that many companies face, the whole um, issue of data quality. Data quality is a function of governance, which is a function of ownership and standards and uh, driving behaviors through a business that allow for garbage in, garbage out to be, you know, that cycle to, to not exist, right? So the analytics engine coupled with strong master data management and strong data governance is step two. Step three is that these technologies have created a situation where it's become a, a huge opportunity for us right now, a small number of individuals that have this unique skill set combination of being a mathematician, being a, pro, a business process analyst and expert, um, and uh, being somewhat of a scientist. We, we've, um, the industry has coined a term called uh, data scientist, which describes this new skill set that has evolved of people who are able to understand how all of these data sources could be brought together and uh, converted through algorithms into intelligence based upon what the nature of the business is and what the business process, processes are. It is, uh, it, although it's called data scientists, it's probably part art and part science. Um, but what we're finding, again, by looking at the leading companies in this field of big data is that they all have these data scientists. They all have individuals who have become very, very good at understanding the value of a particular piece of information and what the relationship of that piece of data is to other pieces of data that they're already collecting or that they can get. And then finally, um, organization. So we talked about IT being a bottleneck and the business model of IT being broken. In order to bring IT back into a collaborative and productive relationship with the business, we need to change the organization, which means changing the business model that underlies the organization. We also have to change the way the 
business processes work between IT and the business functions. So in the historical world of business intelligence and reporting, this is kind of the way it is. You've got the line of business user, you've got the analyst, and then you've got a brick wall, and then you've got the database administrator. And the requests come to the database administrator. I need this table. I need this piece of data. And they said, okay, and we'll give it to you. The database administrator has really no knowledge of what the questions are that the business line of business user is trying to ask, nor do they really have too much of an idea of how they relate to any other piece of information other than they know what row and column they're, you know, they're giving. The new, what we see again with companies who have been successful in this new world of, of big data is a completely different model where there's no brick wall in the middle, and it is not a one-way process. It's an iterative, agile process with collaboration between the line of business users, the data scientists, the analysts, and then the platform or database administrators. Because we don't always know what questions we need to ask, and we don't always know exactly what data elements are going to answer what questions. So it's very much an iterative process. And for to have an iterative process, you need to bring together all of the individuals who understand those questions or the question from all different angles and solve it as a team. So there's a high degree of collaboration required, and the traditional stovepipes or differentiations and brick walls between organizations uh, act as huge impediments uh, to this happening. I'd like to now tell you uh, what we've done in this space. We are not necessarily a big data company like CoreLogic, um, but we have big data. We have 12 petabytes of data. Much of it is unstructured. And again, what we've done in the past from an analytics perspective, decision support systems, business intelligence, has really only taken advantage of that portion uh, that was structured. Not surprisingly, being an information infrastructure company, we started with our information infrastructure in our journey. Uh, number one, because we knew it was a foundation, as we talked about before. Uh, number two, it was what we did for a living. So we've been through a multi-year journey ourselves within our data centers to build out a cloud infrastructure. That cloud infrastructure runs from our data centers, one of which is up in Durham, and also extends out to the public cloud as necessary. It's highly virtualized, it's elastic, it's agile, it's capable of being provisioned very quickly. So in the process of this evolution, we've built ourselves a very nice tool set. But as we know, you can have the best tools in the world, and it doesn't really make you an effective craftsman, right? There's, uh, the tools are required. You can't be an effective craftsman without the right tools, but... More is required than that. And we started to transform our organization to be effective service provider so that we can actually use the tools that we've developed in the cloud infrastructure and be more of a service provider. 
So our goal in this program, which we've been calling IT as a Service, is to transform our business model, transform our organization, transform our DNA and the way we think to produce our services the way the business wants to consume them. So optimizing what we do for how we know the business wants to consume it with an overriding goal that it has to be agile because the lack of agility is what causes the business to bypass us. We have so many, as an IT organization, we have so many attributes that the business should find valuable. We understand their business processes very intimately. We understand how their applications run. We understand the data. The only reason that we end up losing business, why we end up being an impediment, is because we can't be fast enough. And some of the reason we can't be fast enough is the funding model, is the business model. If we have a fixed budget and we are told at the beginning of the year, guard it with your life and don't run out and don't come back and ask for, me for, for more if you do run out, then there's nothing else that we're going to be able to do to, to change our business model, right? There has to be elasticity in the funding. And by the way, that doesn't mean that the company's budget has to go up. What it means is that the consumption of IT services needs to be put into the hands of the business, and they need to be able to make transparent value-based decisions on what they need and what they want. more like a free, free market economy. If the business's budget is fixed and they're choosing to spend more money on IT services and less money on other stuff, is that necessarily bad? I don't think it is. So the focus has to go from IT as a cost center and the CIO as the garter of the corporate assets to CIO being accountable for unit costs and competitiveness and the business being held accountable for their overall budget. And how much of it gets spent in IT should be much less of a concern. This part of the journey that we've been on to IT as a service, we're about a year into it, and we've been focusing on three separate tracks. Uh, the first track on the left is really to engineer a new business model for ourselves. In this new business model, we want to be a provider of services as opposed to a purveyor of projects. We've always thought of ourselves as a project-based organization. We go from one to the next to the next to the next. We need to be a provider of services or a provider of products. And those products should be as standardized as they can be because we don't want to have a proliferation of a million you know, customized things. We want to have enterprise class, enterprise scale services that meet the, the vast majority of the, uh, of the use cases. We want it to be market-driven. We don't want to build things if we can't be competitive building them. We want to broker things if there are other organizations who are better suited to provide those services than we are. And yet, if there are 
organizations who are better suited to provide those services, we don't want to just get out of the way and let the business go right to those providers. We want to be accountable for those services, and we want to be brokering those arrangements with those external providers. The second stream of, um, of this effort has been around uh, technologies, and quite frankly, this is the easiest part. The technologies that we've em- enabled um, for IT as a service are really around transparency. So it's financial transparency, chargeback, self-service provisioning, and a higher degree of automation in the data center. Putting the power back in the hands of the consumers of those services, allowing them to understand what the cost is or what the price is, being able to make much better value decisions on their consumption of those services. The third section is the section that's uh, the hardest of all of them, and that is how do we take an organization that has been accustomed to doing business a certain way for decades and overnight change them into a competitive service-providing outfit? And it causes all of us to need to think much differently. Just one simple example is in the world of IT, you know, we pride ourselves on being a service organization. And what that means to most people is whenever anybody has a problem, we'll jump on it really fast, we'll solve it, we'll get them back up and running. So we, we've become masters at picking up the phone when it rings. Are there any other service providers out there that do business that way? Do they just sit and wait for their customers to call them and say, hey, I've got a problem. Could you guys come in and help me with this thing? Of course not. They make calls, right? They sell. They market. They promote what their capabilities are. The terms sales, marketing, and promotion are completely foreign terms to most IT organizations. But in order to be effective service providers, we have to do that. And the DNA of an effective salesperson is quite different from the DNA of an effective customer service person. So in our organization, we are having to implant new DNA as well as do some DNA transplant operations on folks to be able to develop capabilities that we've never had. If we look at how our progress... Oh, I'm sorry... Um, the, the IT as a service, I'm going to build this out here. The product of our IT as a service business model is a service catalog, and the service catalog can be represented in, in such a fashion here with infrastructure at the bottom, platforms built on top of the infrastructure, software built on top of the platforms, and then methods of accessing those capabilities up at the top. You'll notice that one of our platforms is a BI as a service, um, leveraging a big data infrastructure back end. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. If you look at the way our, we've, we've been able to measure our progress through our transformation internally, uh, we look at a lot of things, but here are two of them. The green line is the percentage of our budget that we've been able to allocate to new capabilities. Remember back to the 70, 30, 80, 20. We were 80, 20. 80% lights on, 20% new capabilities in 2004. We've been able to more than double that over our transformation. And we've been able to take our agility from being able to uh, provision after 90 days down to now in, in many environments down to the same day provisioning. 
So obviously, we've seen some very good benefits here, uh, although our journey is far from over. In that BI as a service offering, um, we've put together a bundle of infrastructure, analytical tools, and consulting services that we're now uh, provisioning out to our business units. The data sources that we're able to tap into would include our typical transactional data sources as well as machine data, so log files. Talk about that in a minute. Social media, uh, external sites. Um, We've layered in data governance with master data management. Had a parallel effort on that for a few years, and that's really uh, bearing fruit here. And then up at the top, a layer of consulting services. So in this new world, this is a BI as a service is not something that you can just say, here, take it and run with it. There are some implementation services and some data scientist services that we're offering along with that to help try to all learn together and accelerate our journey. A use case that we have in, internally um, and we actually have this uh, internally within IT, so we are a consumer of our own service here. We've implemented our BI as a service in our critical incident response center as part of our security organization. Across our worldwide IT infrastructure, we get, uh, let's see, we get 1.5 billion alerts every day. And an alert, you know, the vast majority of them are all benign, right? It's something happened here, something happened there, something happened there. Obviously, no one, no team of people, no matter how big, can process 1.5 billion. Before big data, we had to make some choices about which ones we looked at, which ones we didn't look at, right? You look at the ones that are very obviously a problem, and everything else just sort of gets, that's the haystack that you end up sort of uh, accepting. Overwhelming complexity, inability to see what's actually happening, um, and... Quite frankly, security posture is not nearly as strong as you want it to be. What we've been able to do with BI as a service is put in place some fairly sophisticated algorithms that can take those 1.5 billion alerts and be able to much more granularly analyze them. So we've been able to uh, create uh, capabilities that, uh, for example, uh, might um, identify that uh, Bob Hawkins logged in from Greensboro, North Carolina, to the infrastructure this morning, and then uh, at 5 o'clock tonight, logged in from Asia. It's like, well, that's, pro- that's an improbability that Bob can teleport from Greensboro to Asia. So there's something going on there that needs to be investigated. And so let's disable that second session that logs in from Asia until we can understand what's going on. That's a fairly um, straightforward one. Think about, we know that Bob Hawkins is VP of manufacturing, and we know that when he logs in, these are the systems that he typically goes to, and these are the kind of transactions that he would typically run. But today, he's logged in and... He's perusing our source code repository over in the engineering area, something he's never done before. It might not mean that we have an attack. It might mean that Bob was asked to do something that he's never had to do before. So it's not necessarily bad, but it's certainly a flag. These are the kind of things that big data allow you to identify and allow you to take action on 
that were just impossible to do before these technologies existed. So I would ask all of you what your big data opportunities are. Do you know them? Do you have a sense as to what they might be? Have you exploited them, some of them already? And if not, what is it that you can do here? Because in the end, uh, I would say there is probably undiscovered gold in everybody's backyard. You've got to dig it up. You've got to know where it is. You've got to dig it up. You can't dig it up without these new age big data technologies, without an organizational structure that supports it, without the appropriate skills and roles in the organization to effectively mobilize for this. Because the same kind of opportunities that you have with gold in your backyard, your competitors have the same thing, right? And so um, you want to find yours before they find theirs. You have to do things completely differently. The same approaches will not yield the results that you're looking for. The world is telling us that through those catalysts for change. Uh, the technology is mandatory. It's critical, but you just can't put it in and get here. There's a lot of hard work. There are people transformations. There's organizational transformations. There's process. There's governance. There's master data management. All those things are required. And for those of us in the IT profession, our organizational and business models need to evolve really quickly. Otherwise, we're going to be fairly irrelevant, uh, which is not meant to depress anybody, but meant to be a, create a sense of urgency around all of us in the field that we need to do things differently, and there's an awful lot at stake. And it is a journey. It's never been as exciting a time to be in IT as, as it is today. Uh, we've got incredible potential to be a more strategic partner than ever before within our organizations. Nothing can happen without us, but we need to be enablers as opposed to disablers. So with that, I'd like to open it up to questions. Questions? Era. You were early on in the talk, you talked about the explosive growth, I'm sorry, explosive growth in this industry and only a 50% potential growth or likely growth in terms of service providers. I'm assuming that a lot of the growth is going to come from overseas um, in terms of the need. How do you think that's going to fare for workforce in the U.S.? So the, the hypothesis was that you know, despite uh, 30x growth in the digital world of digital information, there would only be a 50% growth in IT staff. Um, and I think you know, what we see happen, the only way that you can survive in that world is through massive automation. And one of the secrets, the, the, sort of the dirty secrets of the IT profession, and I, I actually started my career in manufacturing, and one of the things that I was horrified by when I came into the world of IT was how unautomated things are. You've got all sorts of people with hands on the keyboard doing stuff that should be automated. But it can't be automated when everything is unique and every, every, every single action needs to be thought through and... Every, there's a high degree of judgment involved. 
the, the world of IT is undergoing an industrialization process right now where it's becoming much more standardized, much more consolidated and consistent, which brings to bear opportunities for much greater automation than, is, than has ever occurred before. So I think what we will see from a workforce perspective is that there will be many fewer lower-level menial IT jobs necessary, much like has happened in the world of manufacturing. That creates big needs and big opportunities for IT professionals who are capable of designing and implementing and supporting the automation, and for those who are able to architect, design, and implement solutions, and especially for those who have an understanding of how their business runs as well as how the technology operates. So I'm actually quite, despite the fact that there will be modest growth in numbers. I think the, the nature of the work will get much more interesting, will get much less manually intensive, and I'm very, bullish on, I'm very bullish on the field. I'm trying to convince my kids that a oh, career in IT might be good for them. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Yes. Thank you for is it on? Thank you for the presentation. I found that um, really interesting, and the, the numbers are just shocking in terms of the growth of, of data. I mean, as everything grows, key to ensuring the right platform globally is a regulatory environment. In the UK, we're pushing people to publish more data, so we can make more data available. We can come up with more products and services. But there's a lot of people who get nervous about that. You know, there are certain groups that worry that we're being spied on and they don't want their data out there. How do you think that debate's going to play out? Because if suddenly you get some powerful lobby group, it yep. might interfere with your ability to do these fantastic things. Oh, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I think the, the one thing that uh, most everybody agrees on at this point is that the legal and regulatory environment around this is a decade behind the technology and that... The regulators are chasing uh, a condition that is at best a present condition or mostly a past condition and not looking to the future. We will be challenged by this, I think, in, in the future, that there will be uh, regulatory misalignment with uh, what's best for society, what's best for business, and what the regulators are, are trying to, uh, trying to um, control. I don't know quite what the solution to this is, and I agree with you that, uh, I mean, we are, it is very challenging. It is very challenging. Uh, we're in the process now of, of you know, doing a, a global rollout of mobile device technologies and just trying to understand what we're capable of doing in what geography in terms of if you've got our intellectual property on your mobile device and you happen to be in Argentina, we can't touch that device. And in the United States, we can wipe it. If, if it gets into the wrong hands, we can wipe it out. We can't do that in other countries, um, and it's purely based upon the regulatory environment. I think over time it will work itself out, but in, it will be very challenging to deal with that. And you know, I would have to believe that as that relates to a core business, uh, a business value proposition, so if there are companies who are making their living from harvesting big data and there are certain countries where that is 
less possible because of a regulation perspective, they're going to find the country will find itself at a big competitive disadvantage because no one will choose to operate their business in that country, right? Uh, so I'm not quite sure what the end state is going to look like, but it, I would acknowledge that it's a big problem and, and um, it's something that uh, has to get resolved. John, I like the idea of an organizational model that's more collaborative so the walls can come down. I'm interested to understand how did you create the data scientist position and how was it received and how are you building it across EMC? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, data scientists, uh, for the most part, have all come out of the business because it starts with someone who has a very intimate understanding of the business process, the data sources, the nature of the data, which is not something, you know, the, the IT people understand the plumbing. They don't understand the composition of the fluid flowing through the plumbing. And that's what the business folks uh, have found. So within EMC, most of our data scientists have a pedigree that they've come through the business and that they've through their career, been working very closely with IT on the latter generation of business intelligence systems. Um, EMC's Educational Services has recently uh, established a curriculum for certification of data scientists. And while it's probably an imperfect curriculum because it's a fast-evolving field, we've also found that to be very helpful to be able to take those people with all the business knowledge and be able to then give them the, the mathematics and the analytical, the structured analytical skills that are required to effectively you know, function as a data scientist. Uh, as part of our annual uh, customer conference called the MC World, last year for the first year we had a data scientist summit and we had well over 100 people who self-identified with that title that came to the summit. And, and this year, I think the attendance was at least double that. It was, it was very strong. So we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of uptake. These people were never called data scientists in the past. And how different what they're doing today is from what they were doing uh, last year and the year before you know, might not be night and day. But certainly, um, you know, the, the capabilities of the, of the technology to be able to bring in the unstructured data into the fold and be able to present that as a rich new source of intelligence is something that's quite different. Well, I thank you again very much for your, uh, for your attention this morning. And thanks. Thanks.